And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Muddy Knees Media. Yes, hello. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. I'm Ali Maxwell. On the line with me, George Ellick. We are fueled by nothing but caffeine and football at the moment because <laughs> goodness me, there's a lot of it. Another set of midweek fixtures in the EFL. We're heading into a busy weekend. And as ever, George, it's becoming almost a parody to say it now. We've got a busy show. We've got a busy, busy show. Again, as ever, we'll look back over the midweek fixtures and hand out some awards to those that we think deserve them. We'll look forward to the Saturday games, a couple of championship games we're going to preview, as well as a couple of FA Cup matches. And we've got a really great interview as well with AFC Wimbledon legend, a man who's had so many jobs at the club, Simon Bassey, who was at the game at Plough Lane on Tuesday night as Wimbledon returned home and drew two all with Doncaster. So we'll be speaking to him about the importance and the end of this fairy tale, feel good, fan driven story. Strap yourselves in. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non football loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply 18 plus big You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Sponsored by Paddy Power. Now it's time for us to look back at the midweek fixtures, the fixtures that often don't get enough attention on them and we are here to talk you through them with a team of the week a player of the week and a manager of the week in the championship league one and league two so over to you Ali Maxwell for your championship team of the week yeah a team that potentially lack the attention that they deserve at times Preston North End who went to the Majeski Stadium played against a, a Reading side sitting pretty at the top of the table and having won all four of their home games without conceding a goal. But the one thing we do know about Preston is that away from home, they are like Brazil from 1970. <laughs> and they left with a 3-0 win. That means they have to be our team of the week in the championship. And that's far be it for me to say that this was an easy win the first half, Reading had the majority of the chances and Preston North End owe a lot to their goalkeeper Declan Rudd for a number of saves he made at 0-0 to keep them in it. But Reading pushed on in the second half and maybe hadn't done their research because that really plays into the hands of Alex Neal's Preston North End. A second half blitz, mostly in transition, mostly on the counter attack, showing just how deadly they can be on the counter. It was really... Uh, 
a shocked Reading side, essentially, to have been at nil-nil and to lose 3-0 finally because Preston hit them with, with three sucker punches, really. Uh, a ball through to Scott Sinclair for the first goal. A magnificent bit of chest control, sort of Zlatan Ibrahimovic style, uh, somehow bringing it down from sort of shoulder height uh, before finishing. Uh, it was also a, another brilliant target man display from their new striker, Reese, uh, who won a penalty, who ran onto a long ball to score the second goal. Emil Reese here running in behind McIntyre, he's in yes! behind! And Emil Reese has his first goal for Preston North End! The Danes showing his biting attack and Preston North End double their advantage. And who dropped deep to play the ball through for Barkhazen for the third goal that really sealed it. It's four away wins in a row now for Preston. And it's one of those weird early season quirks, isn't it, George, where they can mm. barely win a home game, five defeats in five so far, um, but the best away record in the league. And I guess our job, which maybe I will try and think about over the weekend, is what does that mean and what's the true Preston? Are they the, the good side that is racking up points away from home or are they getting lucky away from home and actually it's their poor home form that's that's showing their true colours. I suspect they're more on the side of being quite a good side as they have been for the last few years. And I'm looking forward to that. These sort of statistical quirks, I guess, evening out. I'm sure they'll start picking up home points and I doubt they'll win every single away game. Uh, it was an exceptionally happy evening for Preston North End and their fans. The only person not happy was Daniel Johnson, their talismanic midfield player who missed a penalty early on in this game. He'd scored 15 in 15 in his career before that. And now he's got a blot on the copybook. So a sad one for DJ, um, but Preston North End, our team of the week for a 3-0 win away at league leaders, Reading. Uh, across the 12 games in the championship in midweek, George, I'd like you to single out one player who will be anointed our player of the week. Yeah, our player of the week in the championship is Rob Dickey of, of QPR. QPR picking up a really important 1-0 win away at Derby County. And this was a performance at both ends where we saw him defensively very, very solid indeed. He made a crucial clearance with about 10 minutes to go in the game when the ball was coming through to Mason Bennett to finish off and he got there first. But it was his assist that really, really caught the eye. Picking up the ball, tackling a player on the halfway line, driving forward with it from centre-back and clipping in an absolutely beautiful ball into the box for Macaulay Bond to head home. And this is what Rob Dickey can offer. He came in from Oxford in the summer as a centre-back, but he's so good on the ball. He's so good at bringing the ball forward, so good at playing those passes too. It's been an interesting start for Dickey at QPR because we don't necessarily associate this side managed by Mark Warburton with many clean sheets. And that's that's kind of been the case so far, but they have been better defensively. But ascending off uh, a straight red card a couple of games ago against Barnsley after a bright start, saw them lose that game 3-0. So Dickie's certainly the villain on that day. He was therefore suspended for a 3-2 win against Cardiff with QPR looking fairly ropey at the back. Johan Barbe in particular not looking too strong. But this was a return to form, a return to team and a return to the team and a massive result for QPR with Dickey at the forefront, both defensively and going forward. As I mentioned, I even got a tweet this morning from a um, QPR fan saying that moment just capped a fantastic performance by Rob Dickey, mm -hmm. well-deserved man, uh, man of the match. And another one from a neutral. I didn't see the assist, but I'll tell you what, he was a brick wall last night. Watched the game as a neutral, immense, superb on the ball too. So this is a guy developing very quickly a brilliant signing for QPR and if they are going to be better defensively 
he's going to be at the forefront. And we saw yesterday as well what he can do when he gets on it and tries to be creative. Queen's Park Rangers come forward with Bond! And they may well have stolen it! We have waited and waited for someone to step forward and Macaulay Barn has done just that. Well, he got four assists for Oxford United last season, uh, the, the most of any centre-back in League One last year. And he's well on his way for QPR this time round. A good win for them. The manager of the week now. And if I'm honest, quite a few potential candidates here. Quite a few sort of solid eight out of ten options. Uh, I should say that we obviously don't want to replicate our picks here across the same team because we've got a lot of football to talk about. So sadly, Alex Neal is... is uh, not available for this award. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Dean Holden of Bristol City. And that's because more so than any manager this midweek, his in-game decisions turned around a match for his side for the better. They were 1-0 down against Huddersfield, Bristol City. And at that stage, quite a lot of negativity surrounding things because previously they'd lost three of their last five, drawing the other two, winless in five and one nil down at a, a strong Huddersfield side who had scored a lovely goal. And there was a feeling that the system wasn't working. We spoke to Dean Holden about it on this very show just a few weeks ago about the 3-5-2 system with some very attacking central midfield players and teams were finding it difficult to cope. Well, since the first international break, things haven't gone quite so well. And it was a switch to 4-3-3 in the second half that really changed things here. I think the feeling was Huddersfield under Carlos Corberan are very well coached and they're very well prepared. They've got an excellent analysis department and Corberan's the sort of manager who you can trust to have a very good game plan. Well, the flip side of that is when... The opposition switch formation, as they did here from 3-5-2 to 4-3-3. Huddersfield looked a bit rattled and their players, who'd been so well drilled and were 1-0 up against the 3-5-2, all of a sudden were a little bit confused and they didn't adapt well at all. So it's a, it's a boon for Dean Holden. It was three very, sort of you'd say, central strikers, really, in, in Jeju, who came on, Semenyo, Semenyo as well, and Chris Martin. Uh, and it was Semenyo, really, who changed the game. He, he's a, a really lively young attacking player who's, who's trying to fight through the names in front of him, not just Wells and Martin, but Jeju as well. But in a few substitute appearances this season, he's helped change the game in Bristol City's favour. So he's really wanted to keep an eye on. He was excellent on Tuesday night and was involved in, in both goals. Patterson came on as well. He's been a fantastic player since Holden took charge as interim back end of last season. And Jada Silva, the left wing back who was signed from Chelsea, is obviously very highly rated. He's got a lot of England under 21 caps. He's had a tough time with injury. But while he might have looked a little bit uh, suspect defensively at times this season. He got a goal and an assist to help them turn it round. Bristol City winning 2-1. A significant win, an important win, I think, because two points from six games, having previously picked up 12 from four, um, would have been some drop-off in form. As it is, they head into the weekend with three points and Dean Holden's changes having made the difference. He can head into that game confident uh, that he's doing the right things as well. So that's our manager, player, and team of the week in the championship and something a little new here as well. A rare addition on this podcast of a moment of the midweek. It's one of those that doesn't need a huge amount of explanation, but I will just set the scene for you. The game is Norwich against Millwall. The Millwall fans are watching their side on iFollow and the commentary team fall off their chair. Millwall on the counter-attack. Mason Bennett now plays the ball across towards Jed Wallace. Can't quite find him. Oh, oh, 
the chair's collapsed that I was on. I will continue with the professional that I am. Told you that chair was going to go. Right. Millwall in possession now. It's Pookie. So I have to get onto another chair due to completely smashing the other one. Pookie now. Tries to get into possession. And that chair... I will take a picture of that so anybody on social media wants to see a chair ruined by myself. I knew I should have gone to Weight Watchers. <laughs> Apologies, boys and girls, but... <laughs> Apologies for Max, but... We'll be moving on to League One and a very special interview as well in a second. But before we do, aside who didn't make any of our awards, but we have to speak about them. It is, of course, Sheffield Wednesday. Ali, they've made up nine points in 24 hours, having played one game. How is that possible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, It's possible because on Tuesday night, Sheffield Wednesday who'd lost their previous two league games to Rotherham and Wickham, went and beat Bournemouth at Bournemouth 1-0, which was a huge result uh, for Gary Monk especially. And Barry Bannon came to the fore in that one as well. So that was three points. And then on Wednesday, they were given back six, I suppose is, is, is one way to put it. After a successful appeal, their initial 12 point penalty from the EFL has been reduced to six. What that means is Sheffield Wednesday now have five points instead of minus one points and they're not too far now from safety. It's obviously huge news for their survival bid. A a, a deduction of minus 12 had them massively up against it, knowing that they essentially needed to be a playoff team just to stay up this season. This gives them a, a little more hope. The EFL released a statement here saying that the independent panel rejected the club's appeal related to matters surrounding the stadium sale and on consideration of the sanction. They did not agree with the club's assertion that a points deduction should not have been imposed. However, they did opt to reduce the sporting punishment from 12 points to six, which will be effective immediately. Um, We spoke at the time of the sanction about why they were being deducted 12 points, about what was different between this case and that of Derby County. There's a lot to unpack. And if you aren't across things, and if you'd like to learn more about this, then The Athletic is the place to be. Both the breaking news section, which will cover the reduction uh, of a 12-point deduction to a six-point deduction for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, That's the place to be for more information on this one. So we're actually going to start our look back at the League One midweek action with a moment of the week, and it's an easy one. It's the return home of AFC Wimbledon, and we're delighted to be joined by AFC Wimbledon legend Simon Bassey. For those who don't know, Simon was a player, a reserve manager, a first-team coach, an interim manager, and much more for AFC Wimbledon. And this is a club who since having to restart things in the ninth tier 19 years ago, have played at all sorts of football grounds, from turning up in villages in those early days with 1,500 fans, all the way to a playoff final at Wembley, uh, of course. But they've never had their own stadium since that time, and they've not played yet in the borough of Merton, where Wimbledon is based. But now they have a stadium uh, of their own. And Simon, you were there on Tuesday night, sadly not packed with Don's fans, but you were one of the lucky ones who was able to see the new stadium in action. And you tweeted, it was love at first sight. Um, Firstly, thank you for joining us. We'd love to get an idea of what the new stadium is like and what Tuesday night was like. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, as you say, it always reminds me of, the, I think it's the Bobby Robson quote about as a young boy walking up the stairs and seeing the pitch the first time as a young boy. And uh, as I say, 30 years since uh, Wimbledon have, have not played in Merton. So to go there was was fantastic to obviously be invited by BBC Radio London uh, to do some co-commentary. It was brilliant to, to get there and see the occasion. Obviously, never the same without fans, especially at Wimbledon. You know, I see Brentford open their ground and, you know, it wasn't the same without fans. But this is truly a fan stadium funded by the fans for the majority. You know, even as late as um, earlier this year, the the bond scheme was formed and the fans dug deep again and raised another four and a half million just over, I think, to, to finish the stadium. So it really is a fan stadium. Uh, and for them not to be there was... Uh, really really hard but as I say it's a beautiful place once it'll be completely finished and full up um, you know it's really going to be special for the football club You mentioned the bond scheme I think in the end the final figure was 5.4 million pounds that was raised which is an incredible effort Amazing. At, at this stage where you know fans haven't been at games since March um, we don't know when fans will be allowed back in again. It, it's heartening to see a stadium that was built by fans. I mean, just for someone or for any neutrals listening who don't understand the relationship that AFC Wimbledon has with its fans, given you know the the history that Ali was speaking about. I mean, this club is so fan based, isn't it? Absolutely. I was uh, just talking to someone uh, this morning about it and. Uh, they said, oh, they love lower league football, all the way it's been done, brilliant for clubs like Salford and AFC Wimbledon. I said, well, they're a touch different, you know. <laughs> Salford backed by a billionaire uh, and, and, and the Man United guys, Wimbledon solely backed by fans. Everything that's gone into the club has been provided by fans. There's, there's a, the wage bill every year is off the off of what we the income was and that's off of what the fans put in so you know it's slightly different and and this club is as I say for fan power there's no uh, more shining example than AFC Wimbledon and obviously to come full circle you know the journey was at the start and, it, and people say I'll oh, just get back to the football league and that would be brilliant you know I'm looking thinking Jesus that's a tough ask I've played a lot of non-league football you know, I know how hard it is to get through and get to the Football League. AFC Wimbledon have done it in nine years. You know, that's amazing. You know, and without huge backing, I don't think we've ever had uh, the top budget in any of the leagues we've ever played in. You know, we've had some competitive budgets uh, when we first started in the Ryman League and, and so on. But, you know, it's not been backed, it's not been done on the back of, of money. It's been done on the back of love, dedication, fan power, uh, a common goal and I think once all of these things align they're so powerful and, and Wimbledon are, are living proof of that. Let's quickly touch on the game itself because at the moment it's quite rare we get to talk to somebody who's actually been at a game um, it, it ended in, in heartbreak for AFC Wimbledon 2-1 uh, up with two goals from Joe Piggott before the evergreen James Coppin just scored in injury time to level the game at 2 all. but if we look at this big picture you know, after 11 games, AFC Wimbledon are sitting in 11th with 14 points, having, you know, not lost any of their last four games. Quietly, you know, can Hodges decide of making a pretty good start to the season? Yeah, I think obviously looking at the fixtures uh, before they, when they came out early season, I thought they were fairly favourable, some good fixtures early on. 
Um, you know, you played all the promoted teams, and, and that's that's something that can that can be good early on in the season. And they've made a decent start. You know, I think I say one win in the last six is is I say not great, but they picked a lot of draws up in there. You know, but a, a draw away at Burton and a draw away at, uh, in Buckinghamshire. You know, their their results that maybe mm. you'd say were good points. You know, where they are in the table, you don't be open for free. Um, but you're looking at the fixtures, December, January is particularly tough for Wimbledon, the fixture-wise. Um, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a reasonable start, I'd say, but I'm sure there's tougher tests ahead and, and that's what they've got to build for. I thought it was almost perfect that they didn't get the, the dream outcome because, as we know, football's got no room for sentiment. Um, but there were, there were plenty of, of strong sentiments flying around on, on Tuesday night, that's for sure. The stadium looks brilliant. And I note as well that Wimbledon, as is often the case these days with, I think, three academy graduates involved uh, in the game, um, just like you yourself once were, Simon. Th- thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about this special night as the Dons return home to, to Plough Lane. We wish you all the best. You're welcome, gents. Thank you very much to Simon for speaking to us there. And I think I can speak for myself and for Ali and for probably most people listening that we are very, very excited about the day that we can come and see their new stadium. But time to plough on, very sorry, through League One now and my team of the week. And this is quite an interesting choice because my team of the week didn't necessarily play very well, but the result... (laughs) is of such magnitude for them and their season that you can't overlook it. And almost the manner of their victory, the smash and grab of Gillingham at Crewe means Gillingham have to be the team of the week. And the context within where this game sat in their season is huge. Gillingham had lost five games to nil in a row. I mean, that is a terrible record. I can't imagine Steve Evans' sides have lost five games in a row without scoring many times before. And then the actual game that they had lost, the home game against Sunderland that they lost 2-0. The context of that in itself, where Jordan Gray missed a penalty after an hour, after they'd battered Sunderland for the whole hour, then Alex McDonald getting sent off two minutes later, so Gillian being down to 10 men, and then giving away an incredibly soft penalty to go 1-0 down. It was just an absolute catastrophe of errors on Saturday for Gillingham. So for them to turn up against Crew, I think we almost have to now rename as the luckless crew because these crew performances seemingly so good most game days and very rarely getting the results they deserve. Gillingham had five things to thank for this win. Firstly, Charlie Kirk, who missed an absolute sitter, um, almost you know as close to an open goal as you can really get with the keeper being in the goal, if that makes sense. The ball coming in, him six yards out, the, complete, the keeper completely helpless and just rolling it wide of the right-hand post. I mentioned the post. They also have the post to thank with Crew hitting the woodwork twice. Joe Lumley, their keeper on loan from QPR, was in stellar form and kept Crew at bay when they did manage to get their shots in on goal. And then even the goal itself, John Akinde with a header from six yards out. I think Will Jaskalainen will agree, the crew keeper, that he should have done better. But sometimes when you're down on your luck, when things aren't really going well, when you're not playing well and when you when you are, you're not getting necessarily the results you deserved as was the case on Saturday. It's these results, it's these games, going to a tricky side and crew, conceding chances, conceding possession, not creating a great deal, but getting the win that is most important. So my team of the week goes to Gillian. It may not be the performance of the week, but in terms of significance, I think it's the result of the week. 
Absolutely. And uh, Jordan Graham with a, another lovely assist there. He's been a brilliant player for them this season. I'm going to talk about the player of the week. It's not Jordan Graham, sadly, but it is Portsmouth's John Marquis and he's our player of the week. He's also the top scorer in League One with seven goals, which doesn't sound particularly incredible, but they've all come in his last five games uh, and he scored two on Tuesday night to beat Lincoln City, who started the day at the top of the table. So this is John Marquis, who didn't score for the first six games of the season, now has seven in five and is the top scorer in the whole division. And the confidence flowing through him is clear to see watching the highlights back. I think Marquis, he's a funny one, really, because he has been a very consistent goal scorer at League One and League Two level for some time now. And someone that you... I think everyone who follows the EFL recognises as a, a real marksman. He, he's got a, a nose for the right positions to get into. And when he's on form, his finishing is excellent. But I think sometimes Marquis suffers a little bit when he's out of form. He can look really, really poor. And for some periods in a Portsmouthshire, he has been out of form and he hasn't been this prolific. I think part of it might be to do with a sort of eye test type thing. He's quite ungainly and he, he's he's not that sort of, he's not that technical on the ball. Even if you watch his first goal from Tuesday night, it's a ball through from Harness to the left side of the box. And Marquis essentially does what all good strikers do, chops back onto his stronger foot and gets a shot off into the far corner. But the very way that he manages to, to move the ball from left to right, it looks quite ungainly. And look, the outcome was excellent. But I, I wonder sometimes if Marquis suffers a little bit in the eyes of some for, for, from this slightly ungainly nature. He doesn't always pass the eye test, put it that way. But he's, he's one of those strikers who, when he's in good form, there are few better uh, at this level, I think it's fair to say. And at the moment, he's bang at it. He's in form and he's finishing with the proverbial aplomb. He's got Marcus Harness to thank for a lot of this. Harness is his, well, I'd almost go as far as to, stay, to say strike partner because a switch in formation a few weeks ago has seen Harness move to the top of the pitch and have something of a free role while playing as close to Marquis as possible and creating chances for him. He's been drifting into pockets of space, both between the lines and also out wide, and he's really thriving. And, and the two of them seem to have struck up a great partnership. Harness assisted both goals for Marquis on Tuesday night, one of them a first-time through ball, and the second one a beautifully curled cross with his left foot right on to his strike partner's head. So he has set up three of Marquis's seven goals this season. Uh, there's no combo in League One that has set up more than three. So they're thriving at the moment. Portsmouth in very good form, climbing up the table, and they've got Harness and this week's Player of the Week, Marquis, to thank. George, what about the Manager of the Week in League One? A fair few candidates for this one. You talk about teams climbing their way up the table and none are doing so faster and with more intent than Charlton Athletic. I'd, I'd, I'd go as far as to say they might be rocketing up the table. They are absolutely rocketing up the table, you're right. They've won six games in a row, the, the latest of which was a 3-2 win at home to Fleetwood. And the manner of this win, the circumstances in which it came, mean we have to give big credit to Lee Bowyer, who is the manager of the week. Because after 31 minutes, this looked like it was done and dusted. They were 2-0 up at home to Fleetwood. They hadn't conceded a goal in their previous six games. So that's a pretty strong hand to have when you're at home and ahead. But Chad Evans had different ideas and scored two goals within 90 seconds of each other. So suddenly that 2-0 lead disappears and it's 2-all. 
This puts Charlton in a position they haven't been in recently when they've gone ahead in the previous five games. They've kept clean sheets. They've sat on their lead and never really looked like conceding. So what do they do? How do they react? And the answer was really quite well. This wasn't a, a lucky win. This wasn't in any way you know, a, a tight affair in which Charlton edged it. Once the game was at 2-2, there was only one team in this. The winner came from a penalty from Connor Washington, which may look somewhat fortuitous, but I mean, it was a penalty and they created plenty of chances in this game to to, to score more. The system that Bowie is now employing is is a 4-4-2. And we're seeing a strike partnership of Connor Washington and Omar Bogle that looks to be giving opposition defences a lot of problems. Ben Perrington scored the first goal from left back, combining really well with Maidson. And it just looks like a really strong team. We're impressed with the signings they've made. Ben Watson, another one in the middle of the park with a, you know, a huge influence alongside Shinny. Across the pitch, they just look very, very strong. And Bowyer is a manager who we've seen do a lot with squads that don't look too good on paper, that don't have that quality and depth. And with this team, the signs are he's going to turn them into one of the best teams in the division. So given the way they were pegged back, given the way they reacted to that, all credit to Lee Bowyer, who is our... League One Manager of the Week. Connor Washington grabs his second. A perfect spot kick right into the side netting. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. League two now, we're nearly, nearly there. And Ali, let's get straight into it. Your team of the week, a side who did a job on the table toppers. Yeah, I'd like to do a really high octane report here, George, on our team of the week, <laughs> Carlisle United, because they are a high octane team. No, no, no. Patrick just on the field for Carlisle. Already doing what he can do. Now Mellish fancies it. And what a strike that is from John Mellish. Mellish with relish on top. And Carlisle double their advantage. Chris Beach, the manager, has employed a very high-pressing system this season. It's exceptionally easy on the eye. They get the ball forward quickly as well. It's rock and roll football, I suppose, to the extent um, that football can be rock and roll. And it's working. They got their fifth home win out of five home games this season. But it was the team they beat, Newport County, the informed team of the division and the league leaders that makes this even more impressive. And it's the fact that... The way they beat them 
was not to be reactive, was not to sit deep and try and nick one on the counter and sort of, I guess, bow down before the team at the top of the table. Quite the opposite. Carlisle were absolutely at the throats of Mike Flynn's Newport County from the very start. We know that Newport have put an onus on building it from the back this season. That's a style that has has helped them uh, improve and get towards the top of the table. But Carlisle put so much pressing pressure on Newport. They couldn't handle it at all and they had to resort to going long again. Uh, the, 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 The running that this Carlisle team puts in is absolutely insane. Am I concerned that they might suffer some pretty serious burnout? Yes, but at the moment, let's not worry too much about that. Um, Coyote up top on loan from Rotherham was brilliant here because uh, although he is a big guy and a target man of sorts and Carlisle are very happy going long to him and the ball sticks to him pretty well, he can actually move with the ball as well. He can cause defenders problems running in behind. He won the penalty uh, that put them 1-0 up. And in the second half, it was all about John Mellish and just been one of the sort of surprise performers of the season, I suppose. That's not to to belittle what John Mellish has done in his career so far, but this guy is a defensive player, or so we thought. A defender who was certainly not a goal threat. But since Beach has reimagined what he thinks John Mellish is and moved him into a box-to-box central midfield role, there aren't many bigger goal threats from midfield in League Two now. And it's pretty astonishing stuff. He's had 27 shots in the league this season, only seven of them on target. So he could certainly work on his accuracy. But of those seven, six of them have gone in, six goals already uh, in League Two, two in the EFL trophy as well. This guy's had his whole game redefined and he scored the second and third goals, two brilliant finishes, one with his left, one with his right. And Carlisle with 3 nil up. Uh, before Newport really knew what had hit them. Uh, County switched formation and and that did change things for the better. They mounted some late pressure, but the damage was already done and it was just an absolute blitz from a a very entertaining, high-octane Carlisle United side, a brilliant team performance to beat the form team in the division and all by imposing their own game on the the opposition, which uh, is a feather in the cap of, of Chris Beach, who continues to impress us. Really good stuff from Carlisle in midweek, who was the player of the week in League Two. It's interesting because it, it tallies with what you've just said there. I mean, I, I think for Chris Beach as a manager, you know, he's a guy we don't know much about. I think the way that he's changed manager's game is testament to to the job that he's doing. And it makes us as the neutral looking on and covering these leagues think that he is, you know, quite clearly a capable coach who's who's going to do good things for them. And I think the same can probably be said about Steve Ball at Colchester and, and Giovanni Brown, who is the League Two player of the week. I think any player who scores a perfect hat-trick by default has to, has to <laughs> get this award. And in the 3-1 win against Stevenage, that was the case. Playing up front, he scored the first with his right, the second with his left, and the final one with his head. Giovanni Brown's a player who we got to know well when he was playing at Cambridge. And at that stage, he was you know, a fairly tricky winger with an eye for goal. So to see him now starting playing you know, basically as a lone striker and scoring these types of goals, these poachers finish, finishes, shows a development in his game and shows the ball has taken a player. And as you said just a second ago, kind of changed his style of play and changed his strengths. Mm. When you look back to what happened last season with Giovanni Brown, it makes it all the more impressive because when he signed for Colchester from Cambridge, it was a coup. I think you and I said at the time we expected him to get a League One move, maybe Mm. even you know, a bottom half of the championship move. But what transpired was 
a shocking season for him. He didn't score a single goal in the season. He barely really played for Colchester. He was in and out of the side pretty consistently. He went on loan to Forest Green, played five games there. Again, didn't really impress. And it felt like his career was on the wane. So for Ball to come in, replacing McGreal in the summer and to reinvest his faith in Giovanni Brown. He hasn't been prolific so far this season. These were his third, fourth and fifth league goals. But he looks, again, like a very, very good attacking player. When you add the players who are in behind him at Colchester at the moment, you've got Callum Harriet, Kwame Poku and Courtney Senior. Adding Brown to that four, you've got four players who've played a fair bit of their football in the last couple of years out on the wing. So making them, turning those four into an attacking unit uh, with Poku playing as the 10 and Brown playing as a striker with Harriet and Senior in the wings is really exciting as well. And it worked. You know, Stevenage basically couldn't handle Brown all game and Harriet with two assists and hitting the woodwork was also in imperious form. So Giovanni Brown, the the player of the week, he's someone who I think we can probably expect to carry on scoring a fair few goals if he continues playing up top like this. And I'm excited to see how it's going to go. It doesn't look right to me. Brown scoring six-yard box headers. I enjoyed him more when he was. I enjoyed him more when he was dipping inside from the right wing and, and curling them in from 25 yards into the top corner. Um, but a very impressive performance. Our manager of the week in League Two is Oldham Athletic manager Harry Kuehl. Oldham beat Cheltenham uh, in midweek. I think that was a result that many people, myself certainly included, did not see coming. But it wasn't fluke. It's a little bit like what I spoke about with Carlisle. This was not a team down towards the bottom playing one of the teams that have started really well and almost sitting deep and just waiting for a chance to counter and nicking one uh, and then and then sort of shutting up shot. This wasn't really that at all. Oldham were bang at it from the moment they kicked off. They actually had a chance from kickoff, which saw a shot saved after just six seconds. And this wasn't some sort of long shot either. The, the guys who took kickoff basically one-twoed it all the way up the pitch and, and got a pretty good chance away. And that sort of set the tone. I think Cheltenham, who, who might have looked at an Oldham side that have really struggled defensively this season and struggled for consistency, and Cheltenham, who are the sort of models of defensive strength and consistency at this level, might have, have suspected they could have a, a, an easy evening. But... They didn't at all, and it's credit to Kuehl and it's credit to his Oldham players, especially because in the lead-up to the game, there was a very bizarre and pretty public spat uh, with one of their own players, David Wheater. Now, the, the, those that run Oldham Athletic um, certainly don't help themselves with the way that they communicate publicly and also, ironically, their lack of communication with their own fan base about why they make certain decisions. Wheater is a popular player and was an important defender for them last season. He hasn't played at all this season and there, there seems to be, um, well, it's now gone public, basically, a spat between club and, and player with the player saying publicly he wants to play and he's ready to play and the club coming up with various reasons why he's not been involved, including the fact that he injured himself lifting up his dog. Uh, which is very, very <laughs> bizarre. It was all pretty unseemly, albeit fairly humorous for the uh, for the neutral. Um, but Kuehl was able to block out the noise and, and set up his team to pick up a very impressive uh, result here. They had the better of the game. They handled Cheltenham's threats well and created chances of their own. And it was a nice moment, a first professional goal for Arsenal loney Harry Clark, who had a really good game at the back for, for Oldham and scored from a set piece. Uh, I suppose time for some tough words for Kuehl's Oldham because it's pretty much the only time we've spoken about them positively this season. 
It's their third win of the campaign, one of them against uh, Southend and one of them, they really did nick one late against Bolton. They haven't been impressive at all for me until this midweek. So I want to see more of this. I want to see more consistent performances from Kewell's Oldham uh, before we really start talking about them in glowing terms more generally. They've got 11 points from 11 games uh, and something to build on after a, a good result in midweek. I also want to give a special mention to the caretaker managers at Tranmere, Ian Dawes and Andy Parkinson. They stepped into the breach, didn't they, after Mike Jackson was sacked on the weekend and they got a 1-0 win at Harrogate, um, which is no mean feat given how well Harrogate have taken to life in League Two. So well done, the caretakers, um, but our manager of the week is very much Harry Kuehl of Oldham. We, we had a plan uh, and it was, it, was, it was executed perfect, um, but it involved hard work, um, concentration, and they did that tonight. George, we've also got a new manager in League Two and quite an exciting appointment, I think, for the fans of the club involved. Well, not for one of the clubs involved, I wouldn't say. Uh, <laughs> Richie Wellens has left Swindon Town to join Salford City. And I mean, Swindon fans, I think, understandably pretty gutted. Um, Noel Hunt will take charge of the side for the foreseeable future um, in the Swindon statement. So I don't think we can expect uh, an announcement there on a new manager for a while. But for Salford, this is very, very exciting. Not only is Welland a young manager who's achieved a promotion out of League Two before, we saw the style that he brings to his sides, the way they like to play. A very much an, an onus and a focus on scoring goals uh, for which Owen Doyle's career was was helped to no end last season. Wellens uh, and Swindon this season haven't been quite at it, but I think we can draw a line through that and I'm sure Salford will be the reason they'd have gone for him was because of that promotion last season. I think it, when you're looking in as a neutral and you're looking at a, a manager who's swapping League One for League Two, it's always a bit of a surprise, but it's worth... I think remembering that this Salford job isn't a normal League Two job. The the players, the ex-players behind the scenes who are involved, um, who have links to Weddings due to them, of course, their, their shared Manchester United education as footballers when they were youngsters um, and Weddings kind of returned to, to somewhere near home must have played a part. And this is a, this is a big job. I mean, Salford's, their, their ambition, where they want to be in the next couple of years, will align much, much more closely to, to Richie Wellens's than Swindon could have offered. Also worth remembering that Swindon um, have had difficulty with managers since being owned by by Lee Power, and um, you know the this was an, this appointment, this successful appointment, was something of an anomaly for them. Um, so no, maybe no surprise to see Wellens swapping Swindon for Salford, but certainly, I mean, I'm excited to see how he gets on there. They've been. Disappointing so far this season. Another defeat in midweek away at Cambridge. Um, but I have a feeling, you even texted me, uh, I think it was yesterday, saying, think how many goals Ian Henderson is going to score in a Wellens team. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to seeing how, how Wellens gets on with uh, very fond memories of that Swindon side that he built that won promotion last season. Up next, it's time to preview the weekend action with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. The heating's on and it's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? That's right, just 100 of your finest British sterling. And every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around. Plus, a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. 
This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, we've got weekend action galore. Firstly from the Championship, but also uh, some really tasty looking FA Cup ties. George and I have picked a game each from the Championship and a tie each uh, from the FA Cup to preview with the help of Paddy Power. George, what game are you looking forward to most in the Championship this weekend? Yeah, I, I think if you are a Wickham fan listening to this podcast and you haven't heard your team's back-to-back victories being mentioned so far, you'd have every right to be pretty angry. I think if you're a Nottingham Forest fan listening to this podcast and you haven't heard your 97th minute winning penalty and Chris Hewton's first three points at the club being mentioned, you'd have every right to be a little bit annoyed. But there is a reason we have done that. There's a reason we haven't spoken about these two sides yet. And that reason is because they meet on Saturday and that is, I think, the best game in the Championship. Nottingham Forest are four to seven favourites for this one, 13 to five the draw, Wickham five to one with Paddy Power. But things are changing at Wickham. Something has changed there. No longer the whipping boys of the division. We've seen them get back-to-back wins. They beat Birmingham with a very, very late own goal from Christian Pedersen. Uh, so they beat Birmingham 2-1. And then on the weekend, of course, that 1-0 home win against Sheffield Wednesday. So six points from their last two games, seven points in the league this season. Just two points they are behind Nottingham Forest now and one point away from getting out of the drop zone entirely. And this time last week, you and I spoke about the Watford game in midweek where they posed Watford no end of, of, of issues, of problems, creating a fair few chances. And what we've seen ever since then is just a continuation of that. Adebayo Akinfen was return to the starting lineup is causing absolute havoc with championship defences. I mean, I, I sound like a broken record on this, but the more I'm seeing it, the more it's becoming apparent that if Wickham are to survive this season, if they're going to make a fist of this, Akin Fenwa's presence up top is going to be the reason why they stay up. That that is that it's as simple as that. Without him in the team, they were toothless at the uh, going forward. They were mm. poor at the back. As soon as he's come in, suddenly having that focal point, having that person to aim at, to hold the ball up, to bring others into play, and just posing a problem to defenders they haven't had so far. I think his his aerial, um, I think his aerial duel percentage in this game against Birmingham was absolutely extraordinary. He won twenty one. In the game, I mean, Lukas Jukovic was the was the opposition striker, a player who's not too bad in the air himself. He only won thirteen, so Akinfen were nearly doubling Jukovic's number there. And th- this is it. This is going to be the key to Wickham, and I expect them to give a- another very very bold showing against Forest, even though we are starting to see the fruits of of Chris Hutton's labour now at Forest. I think we're seeing a much more cohesive side. I mean, they. They lived slightly on the edge here against Coventry. Coventry had a fair few chances and they had um, they had Samba to, to thank for, for keeping them in the game for, for large portions before Lyle Taylor's 97th minute penalty won them the game. I felt a bit sorry for Jack Colback, who was headbutted by Scott McKenna during the celebrations um, for the first goal. So hoping he's OK. Good one to watch back on the replays if you see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, with Forrest, it's uh, good to see Taylor leading the line. Lolly and Notcart on the wings, quite clearly two elite championship players with Luke Freeman at 10 as well. I mean, that attacking quartet should be as good as most in the division. But I expect Wickham to make this uncomfortable. It's kind of an early relegation clash between two sides in decent form, both of whom will be looking to try and get away from their, their lowly positions at the moment. 
Um, and I don't think it'll go all Forrest's way. So maybe a banana skin for Hewton, but he'll be delighted to get that first three points under his belt. That's all, all well and good, George, but you've completely overlooked, maybe because I made my selection before you were able to. The Norwich City <laughs> against Swansea City game, which is clearly, clearly the standout game in the championship this weekend. It's third hosting second in this early league table. And it's a Norwich side who are actually the form side in the league, which might surprise some people. I think with the games coming so thick and fast and because teams are chopping and changing so much and struggling for consistency, it can be quite hard to work out who's actually on quite good form because things are moving so quickly. But if you look at the, the most points in the last six games in the championship, there's Norwich City at the top of that table with 14 points from six games, four wins and, and two draws. I think the most notable and positive thing for me with Norwich is how solid they look defensively. Now, not always. There were certainly times in their game against Wickham a few weeks ago where they looked like they'd never dealt with long ball football before. But just generally, they are keeping the opposition at bay to a, a very good extent. And, and the reason it's notable is we know that they've got excellent attacking players and we know that they play very nice possession football. They tend to create a fair few chances and they've got the players to take them. But this was a side, of course, that conceded two goals a game in the Premier League last season. A side that even in winning this division two seasons ago conceded 57 in 46 games. That was more than seven other teams in the league that year. And it's more than almost any other champion has has conceded in the championship. So while it sounds basic, but... This season, they haven't conceded more than a single goal since that game against Preston, uh, the second game of the season. Uh, and with the quality that they have going forward, if they can get away with clean sheets and conceding one goal each game, they're always going to be in games because you'd always back them to create plenty of chances of their own. They were frustrated by Millwall in midweek. That game was nil-nil. I, I suspect against a Swansea side that will have designs on imposing their own style on Norwich, they'll have a bit more space to play into that the Millwall away setup. It really is just to play for a nil-nil. They're very good at it. They make it very difficult for the opposition. Norwich were restricted mostly to, to a lot of long shot pot shots and they'll need to improve going forward here. But the right side of Aaron's and Buendia are, are, are it's just so strong, isn't it? Um, is really growing into the season. Uh, and Swansea are an excellent side too. Their defensive record is even better than Norwich's uh, and has been brilliant since they switched to a three-at-the-back system uh, with about 10 games to go last season. Just got a general feeling that they're in a really good place and growing in confidence. I think the one-all draw against Brentford in midweek was quite significant, less so for the result, more so for the performance and the way in which they scared uh, Brentford and finished the stronger here. Obviously, we saw those two teams play against each other in the playoffs last season. And even though Brentford had to turn around a first leg deficit, in the second leg, there was a clear gap in quality between the two sides. And that would have been something for Swansea, I guess, to work towards, a, 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 a gap to bridge. And on the basis of Tuesday night, it looks like they, they might well have done that. They were very, very impressive indeed. IU especially is so good at the moment. He's just so lively. Um, you can't take your eyes off him. And uh, he will cause the... The sturdy, as I've called them, Norwich backline, no end of problems in this game. Uh, Paddy Power think Norwich are, are strong favourites here. They've got them at even money to win this game. Uh, Swansea at 12-5 to five and the draw at 11-5. to five. I just think it's going to be a very high quality second tier game. One to watch for the neutral for sure. Uh, that is Norwich against Swansea in the Championship this weekend. No League One and League Two action this weekend because those clubs are involved in the first round proper 
of the FA Cup. And there are tons of fixtures between League One and League Two sides. But George, we've both picked a game involving a non-league team, potential banana skins, maybe, for some of the teams that we talk about each week from the EFL. Maybe, maybe. Paddy Power have <laughs> uh, the, this, the, the game I'm going to talk about, a 12-1 to shot. FC United of Manchester to beat Doncaster 12 to 1 Paddy are 13 to 2 the draw 1 to 7 of course those are 90 minute prices rather than the tie itself but I, I just when I was looking through the fixtures I realised that I'd kind of forgotten about FC United of Manchester the side that were formed back in 2005 by Manchester United fans unhappy with the Glazer ownership and initially it felt like there was a pretty consistent rise towards becoming a team that me and you might be talking about on such podcasts as this in the future. <laughs> they got up to the National League North and spent four four seasons there before being relegated back into the Northern Premier, which is where they are now. And I think speaking to Simon earlier and looking at this as a kind of a, a fan built club it remains the case now you can pay 15 pounds to the club for membership and each member receives one share in it and is entitled to a single vote at meetings the club is based on six core principles in its manifesto one of which the board will be democratically elected by its members decisions taken by the membership will be decided on by one member and a one member basis only strong links with the community admission prices affordable as possible encourage young local participation playing and supporting wherever possible and the board will strive wherever possible to avoid <laughs> outright commercialism i mean i like that you've you're apologized you're making up for saying that you've almost forgotten about FC United of Manchester by reading out their mission statement and encouraging think, well, listeners to become shareholders. I, I'm in no way doing that at all. I mean, <laughs> they themselves want to avoid commercialism, so I'm not going to sit stand on here and and uh, and tell you what tell people to to invest in the club. But it's just an interesting ideal, you know, it, uh, mm. in a time where fans aren't going to games, although, of course, in non-league they are, and FC United of Manchester are getting their full capacity of 600 fans to every league game at the moment, so they're still very well supported. Sadly, in this one, because it's the FA Cup, there won't be any there. But it's just a reminder of, of what fans can do when they put their mind to it, as was the case with the AFC Wimbledon Plough Lane story, and as is the case here, of a club built by fans of who had felt disenfranchised by a Premier League club, who have now stuck to this for 15 years and are now in the in the FA Cup first round proper. I, th I think there could be no more fascinating a story here than FC United of Manchester beating Doncaster and going forward in the competition and maybe playing against one of those Premier League sides or dare I even say at Manchester United themselves. I think that would be an FA Cup landmark tie. Um, it would just be a massive shame. And that's the case with all the FA Cup. It's a massive shame that fans won't be there because it is a... Uh, of all competitions, it provides days out that are so memorable. Some of my favourite memories as a fan uh, are in the FA Cup, whether that's playing against non-league sides in the first round or, or going away to Premier League sides in, in the third or fourth round. So this one's live on TV. Uh, it's on BBC at 5.30 on Saturday afternoon. It should be a really interesting watch. Doncaster, of course, a team who played brilliant football, who made a great start to the season as well. So it should be mm. a, a good one for the, for the spectator. But just... In a podcast where we're talking about fairy tales, I think FC United and Manchester beating Doncaster and getting into the second round would be the story of the of the round itself. Um, you might disagree, though. Yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, another non-league side that has caught my eye and I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. I'm talking about South Shields, who are travelling to Cheltenham 
this weekend to take on the Robins, Mike Duff's Robins. And as expected, Paddy Power have Cheltenham very strong favourites. They are, after all, a strong League Two side and they are 3-10 to to win this game in 90 minutes. The draw 9-2 and South Shields 13-2. And I just think it's worth flagging up another side who appear to be absolutely rocketing through non-league football. Another side that I wouldn't be surprised if they continue on this path we might be talking about on the pod in, let's not put a number on it, but five to ten years' time. Because South Shields, after a takeover from a local businessman in 2015, won three promotions in three seasons between 2015 and 2018, with Julio Arca pulling the strings uh, to reach the Northern Premier League Premier Division, which is what they're in at the moment. That is one below the National League North. So they need three promotions to reach the EFL. But last season, they were 12 points clear in the NPL Premier Division before the pandemic hit. And at that level, it was decided that no teams would be promoted, that they would just retain the same clubs in the same divisions as they were last season. Obviously, South Shields not thrilled about that. They felt that they were cantering towards the title, cantering towards the National League North. They've got a hybrid system, so they are not fully part-time, nor are they fully professional. They've got players who are uh, on on both full-time and part-time contracts. They've clearly got huge ambition. And they don't mind a, a cup run either, not the FA Cup, but they won the FA Vars in 2017. Again, Arca at the forefront of things there. They've got 15 points from their nine league games this season. Uh, They're just around the playoffs. A slow start by their standard set last season, but it looks like they're growing in confidence. And they've got a couple of recognisable names, I would say. In the dugout, they've got a uh, a duo of managers, Lee Picton and Graham Fenton, who uh, older listeners will remember uh, as a player for Villa, Blackburn, Leicester, in the 90s. Uh, He is in the dugout along with Lee Picton. Those two have had great success at at South Shields. They've got Jamie Sterry, who's their key man. He he was released by Newcastle in the summer. Um, He's 24 years old. He's always been quite highly rated in the Newcastle youth system, hence why he got the contracts to take him to 24 at the club, but he's never quite broken through. I think what I've seen suggested is that he's he's stayed local, playing for South Shields, and he's absolutely tearing it up. And he's he's sort of looking for an EFL contract uh, in the sh- in the in the short term. And this will be a good time to to really sort of test where he's at, I suppose. I think one of the the most notable things about South Shields is just how much local football fans have bought into things and have become a key part of the club as it rises through non-league. Um, in the 2014-15 season. They had an average attendance of 70. In the 2019-20 season, they had an average attendance of 1,670. So that's 1,600 fans they have found by putting together strong sides at non-league level, by engaging with the local community and by achieving a lot of success on the pitch. Uh, It's it's brilliant to have another side in the northeast uh, finding success. And I just wonder if they could cause a a shock this weekend. If, If Cheltenham rest key players, if they rotate heavily, if they get a bit complacent, After losing a midweek against Oldham, uh, Mike Duff was pretty angry. So I suspect there won't be a huge amount of complacency here. But don't be surprised if South Shields cause a shock because they're clearly a a very strong side despite being three leagues below Cheltenham Town. I'm looking forward to this one in the FA Cup. Cheltenham against South Shields. 
So that brings us to the end of the Totally Football League show extra time today. Hopefully we've given you some insight ahead of this weekend's fixtures, both in the FA Cup and in the Championship. And of course, looking back at the midweek games as well. Thank you very much to Simon Bassey for joining us today. Looking forward to seeing FC Wimbledon playing at Plough Lane. Join the guys on Monday for the Totally Football League show for a look back at all of the weekend's actions. And do join us again next week. No midweek games, so we we'll have to find something else to talk about. I'm sure there'll be no end of topics for us to get our teeth into. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.